Welcome to the Psychological Society of Ireland, the PSI podcast, where we bring you interesting and hopefully entertaining and informative podcasts about a myriad of topics. This time, we're talking about managing suicidal behaviour in young people. And our two expert guests are Dr. Anne Kyo. She's a senior clinical psychologist from the Psychological Society of Ireland. And Ian Power, CEO of spunout.ie and Crisis Text Line Ireland. You're both very welcome. Uh, if we start off with you, Ian, and just get straight into it, I mean, how common is suicidal behaviour or thoughts in young people? Yeah, so I guess if you're looking at the, the rates of suicide in young people, um, the HSC's National Office for Suicide Prevention, they publish uh, the stats every year and the, there is a bit of lag time and delay in the stats because obviously they have to to go through the official numbers. But uh, it had been up as high as, as 12 per 100,000 in kind of 2011, 2012. Um, it, it kind of went down briefly, but sadly since kind of 2015, 16, it's been creeping back upwards. So in 2015, the rate was around um, 7 per 100,000 and 2016 that was around 10 per 100,000. So that means essentially that we're, we've got the second highest rate of suicide for 15 to 19 year olds in the whole of Europe. Is there any way of knowing that, that someone is feeling suicidal? Um, well, it's very individual and there are different levels of suicidal kind of feelings. Some people may have a very sort of passive um, fleeting thought of death um, about not being alive or someone else might have a the other end of the scale would be a much more serious um, kind of confirmed plan or intent, maybe chosen a date to take their life. Um, most, and hopefully most people, will try to leave, you know, t- talk to someone about mm. it. So it really it's about being very alert to the kind of early warning signs. Like um, sometimes people will isolate themselves. Sometimes they will kind of maybe give away possessions or... Um, might be very restless, sleepless, agitated. Um, now, not always. So it's mm. not always obvious. But I think, you know, it, it, other indicators like a history of self-harm, a suicide in the family or friendship kind of group or wider circle. There are lots of kind of risk factors or red flags, if you like. I, I suppose it's a complicated mix. A, a lot of young people kind of have these feelings and maybe it, it's a fleeting thought. It just goes like that. Oh, mm-hmm, geez, mm-hmm. I feel like killing myself. You break up with your girlfriend. You feel like killing yourself. This is much quite different to that. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and all of them are important. Mm. So like, it's important, you know, if you did break up with your girlfriend and have a fleeting thought that that's, you know, you, no, nobody, child, adult, anybody should ever be alone with these thoughts. Mm. So even if it is a fleeting thought, share it with somebody, somebody who can listen and think about that with you. Are there any warning signs? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the really helpful resources is the the, the mnemonic, essentially, that Pieta House have come up with, which is science, which is basically everything that Anne has just said. So basically looking out for the S-I-G-N-S, the signs. So sleep disturbance, isolation, giving away of possessions, no interest in things and, and speaking of no future. Um, and as Anne said, it's not that all of those things have to be present, but sometimes those can be little warning signs that perhaps people um, might need to, to get access to some help to talk to somebody. And do you get many texts at Crisis Text Line? Yeah, so of our texters, uh, we will have uh, quite a high volume over the course of a week and around one in five of all of our texters uh, are talking about suicide. Um, And our volunteers are trained within the first 20 minutes of the text conversation to perform a risk assessment. So they'll be looking for and asking, you know, have you had any thoughts of suicide recently? And the evidence clearly shows that asking somebody isn't harmful in any way. In mm. fact, it can pick up people whom you might not otherwise realise were having those thoughts. And that's crisistextline.ie. If, if somebody doesn't go to you, if they go to a, a friend or a teacher or somebody who hasn't been trained how to deal with people if they're feeling suicidal, 
what do you do? Um, it's it's quite a scary idea, if you like. So most people, honestly, I don't think I've ever met anybody who wasn't frightened by the idea of suicide or mm. sort of the seriousness of it. So it does happen that people go to their football coach or just someone beside them on the bus. You know, it can be anybody that a person decides to tell, especially a young person, because it just kind of comes out. So, I mean, the most important thing for the person receiving this information is to sit with and be with the person delivering the information. So... In your head, if someone is telling you that, you're already kind of in crisis mode yourself. What do I do? How do I keep them safe? Um, And instead of kind of rushing on to that, take a moment and just listen. Because the person is coming to you, they've chosen you as that listener person. So take a moment and do that job. And then you can flip into what do I do about this? And you, you should never be on your own with this. So the person um, saying they feel suicidal is, is very doing a very good thing by telling other people. And the person hearing that is doing them a very good thing, but they should also not be on their own with that information. So they should then be finding or speaking to someone else, sometimes immediately, bring a friend, family member, advisor about what they should do. So it's really about being present with the person, taking in what they're saying. And, and as you listen, you'll be thinking, how serious is this? You know, do I need to do something immediately? Or is it just a person sharing a thought that they want someone to listen to them about? Um, and that can happen anywhere at any time, you know. And if, if they want more information, can they go to the crisis text line? Yeah, and I mean, I think that the Pieta House helpline <clears throat> is a really helpful one also uh, in, in terms of suicide and self-harm because that's the kind of the area that they would specialise in. And they, they can co- kind of talk, talk you through some of the things um, that might be options for the person that you, you care about. I think the the main two things really are the two things we would see most commonly is parents would ring us up and they'd be in a kind of a state of panic. Mm. And I think it's really important to try to remain as calm as you can um, because that's what the, the person needs. Um, and the second thing is to not think that you can fix their problem um, and to, to, to be just there you know sit listen to the problem as Anne said um, and you know try to, to support them and get them support um, but you, you're not going to be able to do everything to completely eradicate their worries and don't feel like you need to take on that burden as well often we'll we'll see parents you know really I guess kind of getting very down into the, the nitty gritty of the issues that mm. the young person is experiencing when really that's for the young person to kind of problem solve with the right support of a professional. It's not really the, the burden of the parent, I guess, to, to try to solve those problems. I presume yeah. that there's no typical texter that you get in, in crisistextline.ie. Not really. Um, I mean, we, we, we get quite a, a variety of people, um, you know, in terms of ages. Uh, you know, we've right down from 14 years up to kind of 34 um, and even older. But that's kind of the main uh, age group that engage with us. Um, you know, all genders, all sex, sexual orientations, you know, young people with disabilities, young people of, of different ethnicities and things like that. Um, I think what's really interesting though is that the issues are quite common um, and so around kind of 40% of young people who text us are texting us about something to do with a relationship whether that's a partner or it might be family in lots of cases for young people um, and it might be friends as well and, and particularly friends in a kind of a school or a college environment that seems to be quite difficult for young people when they might be isolated by a group of friends or they might um, you know be bullied uh, by other, other young people in their school that can be quite difficult to deal with mm-hmm. so what's really interesting is that although the young people themselves might look quite different, actually quite a lot of the issues are, are, are very similar. It's equally, you know, anxiety and depression are really high um, in terms of uh, the reasons why young people will text us in as well. So um, 
as I say, the young people might be different, but the issues can be quite similar. similar. Are there different levels of feeling suicidal? Yeah, most certainly. I mean, it depends, as Ian said, on on what's actually happening for the person. So Mm. if it's a sort of a short term situation, then the person might feel that in a a fleeting way. Or if it's a more long term chronic situation like trauma or, you know, a very serious situation, then they may feel more trapped. And then the idea of not, you know, not being alive or taking your life is Mm. more, you know, present. So it's quite serious at some ends. Some young people go, uh, maybe self-harming. Is that a sign? It can be an indicator. That's to say that not all people who are suicidal self-harm and not all people who self-harm feel suicidal. But one of the things, if I'm sitting with a young person who is suicidal, is I will run over, you know, have you got a history of self-harming? And there are varying degrees of self-harm. It could be something very mild. It can be something much more serious. Some people might use it a lot. Some people very occasionally. Um, You know, and it's important to talk about that, that people can speak that out loud without feeling like they shouldn't be you know, saying that or not. Um, so yeah, it's, it's totally different for the each person. Typical self-harmer, presumably, a lot of the time they, they hide what they're doing. Is there any way of spotting signs of that? Yes, you know, so parents are vigilant most of the time mm. about their young person. And, and if they don't notice that, perhaps it's because a young person's very, you know, clever about not showing it. Mm. But like, so there are different ways of doing that. It could be cutting or... Um, you know, injuring yourself in different ways. And when, when I work with a young person to reduce their self-harm, I'm really hoping to, um, you know, some people want to stop, some people don't want to stop. So it's about harm reduction within that. So can you do something that gives you the feedback maybe you need, but something less um, less injurious? I think as well, self-harm is a really difficult kind of concept for a lot of parents and, and for a lot of young people, even themselves, who even might be experiencing it, they're kind of not even sure why they're doing it. Um, and really, you know, self-harm is essentially kind of the manifestation of really harmful emotions or really difficult or intense emotions. And literally the only way for a young person to express those is through kind of acts of self-harm. And so I think sometimes when parents understand that and young people themselves, it kind of it, it doesn't necessarily rationalise it, but certainly it kind of explains it a bit. Um, and I guess what people, amazing people like Anne are doing are, are trying to help young people to deal and cope with those emotions in maybe a more productive way mm-hmm. um, and in a, in a more kind of, in a way that's going to actually address some of those kind of root causes. Um, and from a harm reduction perspective, like one of the most popular pieces of content on Spun Out in relation to self-harm is the cell, is the distraction techniques. So things that you can do when you get the urge to self-harm that are, you know, essentially, you know, things that you're going to be doing while you're trying to work through maybe uh, dealing with those emotions, but stuff that you can uh, do in the moment to try to avoid that urge to um, self-harm. What kind of things are they? So there's there's a variety really, um, but you know, the most common would be things like an elastic band on your arm that you snap kind of uh, to give you the sense that you're causing yourself harm when, but you're not really doing anything mm-hmm. that's going to be seriously injurious to yourself. Ice cubes, um, those kind of different things. It, it very much depends on the young person and what they're getting, the feedback they're getting from the self-harm. So someone might colour in their arm with a red marker. Mm-hmm. They might have a cold shower, as Ian said, the elastic band or the ice. And young people come up with all sorts of creative ways. So it depends on the person about what kind of feelings they're keeping inside and how they need to release that. Some people take up exercise, you know, or, or are very creative and make something artistic. Mm-hmm. But it's a really, it's an idea of using that to reduce the other behaviour. What about as a parent or, or if, if a friend or coach, teacher, whatever, and you, you suspect that maybe the young person is thinking about this, 
how about bringing up the, the subject yourself? Is it, is it dangerous to talk about suicidal feelings or you might feel that it's actually going to encourage them more than anything else? I, the, the honest answer to that is the research says, no, no it's not dangerous. As mm. Ian said earlier on, you know, we, we, to talk about it does not cause it. And that would be the kind of one main message I would want to give to parents or anyone worrying about asking about this. Now, the opposite end of that would be if you asked repeatedly and badgered someone, you know, that is not helpful. Yeah. It, ne- it never really works. But um, no, don't like people shouldn't be shy about this topic. I mean, the, the thing I get in my work with parents is that a lot of them are sitting at home on their own, isolated, thinking they're the only one in this position, afraid to understand how to do this. And they're not. And I think really it's about imagining yourself in the young person's position. There are gentle ways you can kind of talk around a topic hypothetically or, you know, about someone else and sort of invite a young person to start sharing. It's really important then for the the person receiving the information to be really calm and just let the young person bring it. Because then, as Ian talked about earlier on, we want to fix it. Yeah. It's so frightening, this idea of this young person feeling like this, that you want to make it go away. But that you really maybe often can't. But letting them share it with you means that they're not on their own with it anymore. So I would say, I mean, I often sit with parents and I say to them, you know, if you have to literally put your finger on your lip and just remind yourself, just listen. Don't come in with your fixing. Um, and they might repeat to themselves, don't fix it. Just let the young person have room to talk. That in itself is very, very powerful. Um, but the parents are not on their own. I mean, this is, is it's reasonably, um, sadly, more common than, you know, people often want to acknowledge. Um, and nobody wants to kind of sit with this. It's really tough to think that your child could actually feel like this. So I think it's really about making room and, and sort of just wondering what that's like. Yeah, we're getting, at the moment, we're getting around 300 kind of textures a week. And so therefore, one in five or around 60 of those will be suicidal. And so our volunteers, as I said earlier, are trained to ask about it. And what's really interesting is that about 65% of textures have told the volunteers stuff that they've never told any other living person. Mm -hmm. So the reason why I think that is, is because the volunteers are trained literally, as Anne said, just to sit there and, and listen and not to try to be suggesting things or, you know, trying to, to run away and, and do other things to, to get support for the person. But rather, they're just sitting there and it's really powerful for young people to express what they're feeling and actually talk about it probably for the first time. And if you are the person that a young person approaches, you know, be really flattered because they clearly feel like you are somebody that they can open up to. And I think the the biggest way that you can thank them for doing that is being present, listening, not panicking, mm. and, and then obviously getting support for them afterwards, but really listening and hearing to kind of what their concerns are. Do they find it easier to text rather than actually talk to somebody? Yeah, we did some research before we set up the service um, and 70% of young people between the ages of 16 and 25 said that they would prefer to reach out and talk about these things mm. by text. And I mean, you can't be surprised at that really because we don't order pizzas on, on the phone or taxis or anything mm. anymore. Like it's all through text-based communication. So, um, you know, mental health is such a sensitive and vulnerable topic. You you, you would really expect that to be the same. So, um, yeah, it's a great medium. Um, and I think, you know, particularly for engaging with somebody who you don't know, I think yeah. as well, because, you know, a lot of our texters will talk about their volunteers, they leave messages for their volunteers after they're finished their conversation. And you can see in those messages that they don't know what the volunteer looks like or or who they are, but you can see that they have an image of them based on the kind of the empathy that they've shown them. So it's it's a really good medium for for that type of communication. Do do you follow through with with, uh, oral communication or is it it all on text? No, it's all on text. Uh, 
Um, the only circumstances where somebody might get in touch with them on the phone is, uh, you know, so when we when we our volunteers do that risk assessment, uh, they ask the young person if they've uh, had suicidal thoughts Um and then we go through a, a ladder up risk assessment, essentially looking for the things that Anne talked about earlier. So do they have a plan? Do they have access to means? And is there an imminent time frame? And if that is the case, uh, the volunteer will flag that with one of our um, professional supervisors who are paid staff. And they'll try to de-escalate that conversation. But if we can't, we have a partnership with the National Ambulance Service. So we will pass the details on to the National Ambulance Service and they may get in touch with the texter with the aim to try to keep the texter safe, essentially. We're trying to go through as many different possible situations, I suppose, and address them as we can. So what what if the message uh, comes through someone else, maybe from another young person comes to you and saying, well, you know what they're thinking of over there. What do you do? It does happen. I often sit with young people who have a friend in class, maybe who told them yeah. something during the day or they're, they have a friend, an online friend who tells them about a position they're in. Um, and young people are nervous of that because they, they are um, kind of welcoming of the trust as Ian said that the other person has put in them and the person at times can say don't tell anyone mm. and it takes I, sometimes it takes the young person a little bit of time a couple of you know however long to decide that this is not just for me so my message to young people would be never you know even an adult knows that everybody knows that whoever is telling you this the person receiving is not holding that ever on their own so the parent isn't the football coach isn't i'm not as a professional so i would go and check with other people mm. on my team um so you have to have someone else to think with when it's a very kind of frightening situation if you like so my message to the young person will be tell someone, be, you know, work with the person who's telling you and tell them you, they know you have to. Mm-hmm. Most young people know that they, someone ha- have to Is tell somebody. Is that part somebody. of the reason they're telling you? Because they, they want you, they're, they're looking for help. Generally, mm-hmm. but they might have a lot of kind of say on, please don't. Yeah. But I suppose in, in a professional situation, you've set it up, say, if you tell me something that, you, um, that I think you're in danger, I have to tell someone. Yeah, yeah. A little bit different in a friendship situation. But I, would, I always emphasise that to young pe- people. The same rules apply. Like you, no one is going to keep that secret. Mm. It's just quite frightening at the time to receive the information. So then generally it's the normal channels tell, you know, a trusted adult. They can, they can help you think about what you're going to do about that. Two young guys did a video for for us a, a couple of years ago for a listening campaign that we were doing, and one of them was the listener, and it was really important for us to get that listener perspective. Um, and he spoke about how when his friend Ryan had told him that he was having mental health difficulties, and you know Ryan had kind of said, "Look, I don't want you to tell anybody and stuff like that." And Joe actually said, "Well, look." I'm here for you and I'm I'm listening to you but if I'm ever concerned about you like I need to also talk to somebody mm-hmm. as well because this is a, 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 a it's not a a burden but it, it's something that I'm sitting with too and I need to get support for uh, what I'm hearing as well so I think that that's really important to be able to to know that if your friend comes to you with something that it's okay to kind of to say that actually do you know what if the situation becomes something that's out of my hands and something that's above kind of my expertise, I'm going to have to reach out to a parent or perhaps another friend to help me. Um, and generally, actually, what Ryan responded was that actually that that was really helpful to hear because, you know, he had been kind of anxious about it. And I guess also he, you know, was glad to hear that his friend was getting support yeah. for having supported him, too, you know. Because it is a big thing if somebody does tell you. Absolutely. It's a lot to sit with, you know. Particularly if you're a young person as well and you don't have necessarily a a huge amount of life experience. Um, What advice would you give to someone, uh, people who are supporting a young person who is suicidal? I guess kind of the the advice really is to uh, 
keep an eye on the signs, as we said earlier, in terms of, of the Pieta House um, signs uh, being there, I guess, and, and having the young person know that they can reach out to you at all mm. times. You know, I think one of the things that, you know, sometimes can happen for young people is that they do feel like they're a burden um, and you really have to try as much as you can to let them know that day or night, any time they can reach out to you and, and you'll be there to listen to them. Um, I think that's really important. And I think the other piece of advice I'd give is not to minimise any of their problems. So, you know, what can seem relatively trivial to you as an adult may be a huge deal to a young person. And I think one of the reasons why young people don't necessarily reach out to kind of trusted adults in their lives is because they're afraid that that will not be taken seriously. So, as I said earlier, you know, if you're 12 or 13 or 14, um, something in school is, you know, could be a huge deal to you. Um, versus maybe something that an adult might might see as being a really uh, important thing uh, from their perspective. So I guess really just to come with a no judgment, uh, to come with, you know, out patronising and just being on their level and listening and taking seriously everything that they have to say. And maybe not sit there looking at them 24 hours a day just in case. Yeah, it's tricky for parents because yeah. you don't know where your, you know, your care role begins and your, um, you know, confidant role. Yeah. So as Ian said earlier, access to means, you know, contacting your GP, your out of hours GP if you're very worried, presenting to A&E if you really didn't feel you could keep someone safe. Um, you know, you could look for professional, I suppose, help if you need. Um, and then that those professionals can kind of generally direct you around. The Spunout website has some really good listings for all the different counties of different organisations and support groups. And um, parents need support too. So the sad experience I often have is parents come to me and they haven't told anybody because it's almost like a judgment on their own parenting. My 15 year old is suicidal. I must be a bad parent. Therefore, I can't tell anyone that I'm struggling alone and not sleeping and worrying about this. So and the young person will feel that if a parent has no support, the the they're more stressed out. So I would say get support, whoever that may be, trusted friend, professional, whoever that may be. Um, you know, like find that. There are counsellors, psychologists, the, the Psychological Society of Ireland have a list of kind of psychologists on their website. Um, there's all sorts of, you know, it could be calling an old school friend, whoever you think can hold this with you so you can think better with the young person you're looking after really is the most important thing. That's spunout.ie, it's crisistextline.ie, it's psychologicalsociety.ie. Is there any other help available? There's a huge index on the Spunout website. Like there are a no end of sort of groups and charities and organisations helping locally. Um, so, you know, if people are interested, it's no harm to kind of show up and have a look at what's happening in your area and, and ta- use it as you like and don't as you don't need. You know, there are phone lines you can ring as well, a mm-hmm. number of them. Yeah, the Pieta House helpline is a really yeah. good one because they have services, you know, across the country and really they specialise in self-harm and suicide. So their helpline is probably really good for a young person that, that might be experiencing suicide or for their parent um, to reach out to because they have centres locally. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's no centre that's more than 60 kilometres away from every part of Ireland or something amazing like that. Um, so, you know, they have the access to kind of resources nearby you as well. Yeah, and the National Suicide Research Foundation have a sort of a link to website um, suicidalsupportandinformation.ie. So that's really for anybody affected. Mm-hmm. So when one happens in an area or a family or, you know, young people even read about one, they may, you know, need support about what happens in the aftermath. How do you manage that? So there's kind of some really nicely written supports available on that too. Just before we wrap up, can you go through the signs thing again? Because 
think that was very interesting. Yeah, so signs, S-I-G-N-S. So essentially the S is for sleep disturbance. The I is for isolation. Uh, people might isolate themselves. The G is for giving away possessions, giving away things to, to people that are close to them. The N is for no interest, so not really bothered about things maybe they would have been previously And the final S then is for speaking of no future. So, you know, if they're meant to be making CAO plans, not really being hugely bothered about them or um, or whatever that might be for for a particular person. Thank you very much. That's Ian Parr, CEO of SpunOut.ie and Crisis Text Line Ireland. And also Dr. Anne Kyo, Senior Clinical Psychologist from the Psychological Society of Ireland. Thank you very much for your time. I think we've we've learned an awful lot. And that was the Psychological Society of Ireland, the PSI podcast. We'll see you next time. Mm -hmm.